started. All right, well, a man named Kevin Ford, 54 years of age. You may have seen this uh, story this week um, on the news. He worked as a cashier and a cook at a Las Vegas Burger King and has worked there since 1995. And throughout all those years, uh, he never missed work and he never called in sick. 27 years, never missed work, a day he's supposed to work, never called in sick. Many of you probably were similar, right? Not, not even me, I've called in sick before, right? And so his, his manager decided to thank him for his dedication to the company on his 27th work anniversary by giving him a, a kind of a goodie bag of appreciation. And he uh, recorded it and put it on his social media because he was appreciative of it. But when he started going through the bag, it was actually kind of sad. Now, this is a man who's worked 27 straight years, never missed a day. And as he opened his bag, uh, there were things in there like, uh, like a movie ticket, um, which is, you know, $8 for a matinee, right? A movie ticket, uh, a Starbucks cup, not even a gift card, just a cup. And just various candy, like some M&Ms and sweet tarts and things like that. That was the appreciation for 27 years of never missing a day. And so he posted on social media, and was, like I said, he was appreciative of it, but it, it went viral, because clearly that's not enough appreciation for someone who's never missed a day of work in 27 years. So, his, so the video went viral, and so his daughter um, uh, started a GoFundMe page for people to kind of actually help him out, because people said, oh, this is horrible, he deserves more. So she started a GoFundMe page, and by July 4th, it had raised over $300,000. Okay, $300,000 now. Whether or not that's enough money to receive or not is debatable. But we would all agree that he was a faithful worker. 27 years, uh, being a cashier, flipping burgers, making fries. And he was faithful. But what does it mean to be a, a faithful Christian? What does it look like even to, to be a, a faithful church. Well, today we're in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at that today as we start in our book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for being able to, to be here today. For those of us that are here, uh, we, we thank you for that we're able to be here and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, be with us as we look at this passage of Scripture, what it means, Lord, to be a faithful church, Father. 
And in being a faithful church, what it means, what it looks like to, to be faithful Christians, faithful believers, which make up that faithful church. Lord, your, your church is made up of individuals, and we, they come together, and they make a wonderful member of the body. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And so we pray that you would show us what your word would want to show us today. Lord, I pray that, that you speak through me, that my words are yours, that you fill me with your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that's interesting about Paul writing this letter to the believers in Colossae is that Colossae was not a major urban area. A lot of Paul's letters were, were sent to urban churches, influential churches, because his general church planting, church starting strategy was to, to start a church in an urban area, influence them with the gospel, and then allow that, that cultural influence to filter down and flow down to the suburban areas and to the rural areas, and that is kind of how culture works. The inner cities kind of start things, and it kind of flows down to the urban and rural areas. So, so Paul writing the Colossians was a very different approach, because they were a small church in a small rural town. So what would be so important that he would change his disciple-making strategy, his church-planning strategy, and write the Colossians this letter? Well, in short, the answer is this, that false teaching was running, running rampant in Colossae. And it was a, a teaching that you don't hear of today, but at the time it was called Gnosticism. And, and Gnosticism was a strange mixture of kind of the Greek philosophy and teachers of the day and a form of Jewish legalism as well. And it, it taught that, that faith in Christ alone was not sufficient to be saved. You're not saved just by your faith in Christ. There are other things you had to have. Uh, that, that, that in order to truly find God, you, you had to have Jesus, but you also had to have this special mental knowledge, just special mental enlightenment. And you had to follow the laws that they set forth. So you needed Jesus, plus you had to adhere to the specific cultural philosophies of the day and, and live by every rule that that culture advocated. Then you were saved. Then you were right with God. Faith in Jesus wasn't enough. You had to conform to this belief system that was present in the community. So in essence, this teaching denied the sufficiency of the belief in Jesus. So he writes this letter to make sure that this little town church knew that Christ was indeed sufficient for all things. In other words, this little church didn't need to hear of the other uh, teachings that were flowing down from the big city urban areas. They needed to make sure they didn't just fall for those things. They need to understand that, yes, Christ was enough. We're not immune to our own cultural, so to speak, Gnosticism in our own day. We're constantly bombarded with, with messages from our culture about how we ought to be living, what we should be believing. And, and many of these messages have nothing to do with following Jesus Christ. And so the book of Colossians presents Jesus, Jesus alone, as the answer to every problem, as the answer to every crisis. And so the book is always uh, relevant, as the whole Bible is, because Jesus Christ is always central. So, kind of a, a brief introduction to the book as we get into this passage. So today I want to give us three marks of a faithful church, as Paul is talking about in these first eight 
verses as he introduces the letter to the Colossians. Three marks of a faithful church. Number one, a faithful church loves God's will. A faithful church loves the the will of God. Verse 1 says, Paul, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and, and Timothy, our brother. See, Paul was, first, he was an apostle. And second, he was chosen by the will of God. He didn't set out to, to be this. God had ordained it. So everything that, that Paul does is by the will of God. His purpose, his power, his goals are there because they are the will of God. And Timothy, a younger pastor, his traveling partner, his ministry associate, this too that God had put Timothy in his life was part of God's will for his life. So he's making sure they understand that he is not an apostle by his own decision, by his own career path, by his own choosing. It is the will of God. And because he knew this, he felt comfortable in writing this letter to the Colossians. And he says this. He calls them saints and faithful brothers. Saints and, and faithful brothers. Well, he writes this letter to, to these faithful believers. And, you know, I looked up the word faithful in the Greek and to see the, what the original meaning was and found out that it means faithful. <laughs> That's what it means. Sometimes the Greek is not that helpful. The translations are right on target. It means faithful. And that, that these Christians, over time, they could be relied upon. They, they, were, they were reliable. And then he calls them saints, which means to be holy. Holy ones, which means to be set apart. It means to be put to the side. In other words, you're in the world, Colossians, but you're not of the world. You're, you're different than the world. And that's what faithful brothers and sisters in Christ are. They're holy. They're set apart. As a Christian, uh, we must look different in, the, in our actions and the way we treat people. We must speak different in our words. We must live different when it comes to even our priorities. Priorities are a thing that I feel like in my own life I'm constantly struggling with as living in this world and, and you, you watch TV and and you scroll social media and you think, and you think, wow, that person's life looks better than mine. <laughs> Maybe I need to work to something toward that. Right? No, the priority for you and for me and everyone else is to be in the will of God. That's your priority. What's the will of God? Well, anything the Bible tells you to do and live by. The Bible's filled with the will of God. We just need to read it. So he says to him, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he then prays for God to, to give the believers these two things, grace and peace. Grace is the special fa favor, the special good things that God gives us that we don't deserve. Right? Just things he gives us that, that, that we don't deserve. Monday, July 4th, we decided to drive up to Myrtle Beach. And man, we got caught in the rain. And I'm talking about a lot of rain. And it was raining. And I'm kind of used to it living down in Charleston, but I'm telling you, it was a flash flood. And we were on the way there, and we were maybe around. I don't know where we were because I couldn't see any signs. Got so bad, and when I said, you know, we need to, we need to pull off the road here and, and just try to wait this thing out. And so we pulled off the road, and, and we went into what was, used to be a mall, but now it's an abandoned mall. 
And the car in front of me, see, here's a tip for driving in the rain. Follow a car. Don't be the, don't be, make sure someone's in front of you because if they make a mistake, you don't have to make that mistake. Okay, so anyway, there's your dad tip for the day. Car took, took a right in front of me and went into the, to the, um, uh, the mall there and almost flooded out. Just boom. And I said, well, we don't need to go that way. So we turned around, went across the street, and sat in a Walmart parking lot where there was better drainage. And just kind of waited it out. But it was just God's grace, just God's goodness looking out for us. Maybe some common sense, maybe some wisdom God gave us. Wouldn't been the most wise thing in the world to try to drive when we knew it was going to be raining, but we did anyway. But it's grace. And so that's what grace is. It's God's goodness. And then he prays for peace. And peace is a, a special, just a special peace of mind. You know, that seems to be something we're all looking for in life. Even believers. Peace of mind. And he gives that. God gives it to us. And Paul is praying for them to have that grace. To have that peace. And for them to love God's will. You know it's God's will for you to have peace in your life? And it's God's will for you to have grace in your life. And so he prays for that. So a faithful church loves God's will, loves the things of God. Secondly, a faithful church loves God's people. You would think that would not need to be stated, that all God's people would love God's people, but that's not always the case. There's plenty of times where God's people can be unloving to other people children of God, but a faithful church loves God's people. Look at verse 3. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So whenever Paul prayed for the church, he always thanked God for them. But he was intentional here at saying that God was the Father of Jesus Christ. He wanted to make clear that there's no separation of the two. See, that's how heresies start. They start with deconstructing who God is. And so he says, no, no, no. To believe in God, make sure you understand, to believe in God is to believe in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. They are intricately connected so that people who know Jesus know the way to God. And most of the believers in Colossae seem to be unaffected by the heresy as of yet, but Paul wanted them to be warned about it. So he was thankful for them. And they, he names two more attributes here, these, these attributes of faith and love. Second time he's called them faithful, and then he said that they were full of love. He says, he says the love that you have for each other. The love. See, love for one another is a visible fruit. It's a proof, so to speak. That you are a disciple of Christ. John 13, 34 says this. Jesus spoke. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. And also are to love. You also are to love one another. By this. By this. Not by uh, other things. What we often judge churches by. But by this. Love, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, just to make, and he repeats himself just so they don't forget, if you have love for one another. 
That's how we know. That's how we know we are disciples if we're loving one another. 1 John 4.20 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, <clears throat> he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Unlike the Corinthian church and other churches that have had issues, this church did not seem to have been split into factions. They seemed to be unified in faith. They seemed to be unified in love, which was why Paul was writing them. See, it's not always good to, to te text somebody or write somebody or talk to them when you need to correct them. Sometimes you need to talk to them to let them know that they're doing it right. For the most part, this church was doing the main things correctly he didn't want to see the bad theology coming from the culture tearing apart the unity so he lets them know you're faithful and you're loving and i thank you for that what is love you know, it's much more than an emotional attachment i talked a little bit about this last week love is self-denying it's self-sacrificial it's actions that you do for the betterment of the body of Christ. If you love one another, you're, you, you, you do things for the betterment of the body of Christ. Self-sacrificial love is a hallmark sign. Hallmark sign uh, of a Christian church. This week, um, you may have heard that the Texas Department of Public Safety released a 26-page preliminary report describing those horrible events that led at that massacre at that school there in Texas, finally outlined what went wrong. Because when you hear this story, you think, how in the world did, did this happen? And, and, and it outlined all these things about how, how the shooter got into the school, how he got past the officers, how he able, was able to fire 142 rounds in 80 minutes. Like, how in the world was he able to do all of that? And this commission found... Six critical areas of failure that, that occurred that allowed this massacre to take place. And the first three, and we'll go over them just quickly here, but the first three happened outside the school. The other three happened once they got in. The first thing was this, that you may have heard this, that the gunman came through a back door that was not locked. The report said the teacher went out the door, came back in, didn't check to see whether the door was locked, but she also didn't have, quote, the proper key or tool to engage the locking mechanism of the door. So she couldn't have locked it if she wanted to. Uh, however, the report said even if the door was successfully locked, the report noted it was a steel frame with a large glass inlay which was not made of ballistic glass so the, the gunman could have shot through it anyhow. So it still wouldn't have kept him out. The door wasn't what it should have been. Secondly, while the gunman was still outside the school, uh, an officer that had already been tipped off of a gunman because he'd already fired shots uh, was on the way to the school and was driving so fast through the parking lot, he drove right past the gunman. Never saw him. And then the third mistake was as the gunman was trying to enter the school because he walked around for like 15 minutes looking for a door, another officer had the shooter in his sights. He, he was ready to take a shot. He radioed permission but never heard back. And even so, he had the opportunity if he wanted to, but he never fired the shot, and he entered the school. But even while he was in there, three more mistakes took place. The first one was that, was that the officers did not appear in, until the, in the hallway, 
until the gunman was already inside this one classroom. And how did they get into the classroom? Well, there was a broken lock that supposedly there was a work order for, but never got fixed. The one room, and he found that room, and he got in that way. The fifth thing was that they had gone through training, and that there was this long hallway, and the gunman was in the middle of the room, and there were officers on each end. And had the gunman come out, the officers would have engaged in a crossfire, and they were taught not to do that. That was another mistake. But the last one was the most critical. They said that the officers lost momentum and stopped moving toward the gunfire. It said that the officers initially approached the classroom, but the shooter fired at them through the door, grazing two. They all bolted back to either end of the hallway, and they stayed there, never firing a shot. The report says this, We commend the officers for quickly entering the building and moving toward the sounds of gunfire. But when the officers were fired at, momentum was lost. The officers fell back, and it took more than an hour to regain momentum and gain access to critically injured people. The report said that they teach the officers they are second in a hierarchical list of three priorities after the shooter is contained. Innocent civilians are saved first, and if the attacker is still alive, is treated last. Then they said, this ordering means that we expect officers to assume risk to save innocent lives. There is a chance that officers will be shot, injured, or even killed while responding. And this is something that every officer should be acutely aware of when they become in law enforcement. Bottom line is, they were unwilling to risk, potentially risk their lives to save those children. Now again, we can play Monday morning quarterback and say, what would you have done in that position? Obviously, they were fearful. Who don't know the, the frame of mind? But they had the right, and many would say, the obligation to go to that classroom. And they didn't. The unwillingness to put themselves in that place cost many lives. In the church world, and in our world, the unwillingness of believers to love self sacrificially is costing the lives of many churches. Wonder why churches are dying out? They close the doors every day because the people of the church are not loving each other. There's not self-sacrificial love. There's not self-denial love. There's arguments over preferences, over all sorts of things that don't matter a hill of beans when it comes to eternity. I don't believe we're one of those churches. I don't think we are. I, I believe we're not. But it happens. And we cower 67 feet away in self-protection while others are in harm. So we don't have to do that. We can love self-sacrificially. That's what faithful churches do. They love self-sacrificially. They put themselves out there. They put themselves at risk. That's what love is. Is. And we can do this, why? Because of verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, this world is not all there is. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven that is guaranteed, that is there. 
There's nothing we have to fear. There's nothing we have to be scared of. We have an eternity. So a faithful church loves God's people. And finally, number three, (coughs) a faithful church loves God's word. A faithful church loves God's word. The second part of verse 5, Paul says, Of this hope you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. See, the gospel will grow. There's nothing that can or will stop the gospel from growing. It is spreading all over the world. It is the fastest growing uh, faith system in the world. Why? Because it's the gospel. There's more believers today than ever in the history of the world, both by number and percentage. It doesn't feel like it maybe in America, but it's the truth worldwide. It's continuing to grow. And as the gospel grows, it bears fruit. But in order for it to truly grow, we have to love the Word of God. See, churches can grow and not love God's Word. They can grow for other reasons. And other things can, can have them to grow. You can have groups of people who gather who are reached by something else that's not the word of God. That's not the gospel. But any church that loves God's word will grow. There will be numerical growth. but There will also be spiritual growth. Look what Acts 9 says. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And then in verse 7, Paul reminds them of a man who helped start the church, Epaphras. He says, verse 7, you know all this. He says, you know all this just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, excuse me, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in spirit so they had a man in their church who loved them who who uh, was the servant was a minister that had taught them these things and paul was able to say you know this already you have a Epaphras. you have people like him who are faithful live like a Epaphras uh, uh, learn what a Epaphras has taught you he was faithful he loved god's word love God's word, love is gospel. It will continue to grow. We talked about, uh, in the first part of my sermon today, we talked about uh, Mr. Ford, uh, the Burger King employee. We talked about how he was a faithful worker. Well, uh, the daughter wrote on that GoFundMe page that raised all the money. She said, the man in that video is my father. He has worked at his job for 27 years, and yes, he has never missed a day of work. He originally began working at this job as a single father when he gained custody of me and my older sister 27 years ago. Then as our family grew and he remarried, he continued to work there because of the amazing health insurance that was provided through the employer. Amen for health insurance. My dad continues to work there because though he does look young, He's coming up on retirement age, and leaving would cost him his retirement. 
In no way, she wrote, are we asking for money or is he expecting any money. But if anyone feels like blessing him, he would love to visit his grandchildren. So, $300,000 later, they interviewed Mr. Ford. That's a lot of trips to Disneyland, right? And with the grandchildren. And he said, they said, what do you think about all this? And he said this. He said a lot of things. But this is what he said at the end. What are you going to do with all that? He said, I haven't thought of anything to do with it except to visit my grandkids for a while. Maybe put some up for their college. But I'm not even thinking about that, he said. I'm just working. <laughs> still flipping burgers. Still taking orders. Still making fries. Still working. Every day for 27 years, whether he has $300,000 or not, he is continuing to be faithful, coming into work each day. And every day. And following Christ is the same way. Each day, waking up and deciding, Today, Lord, I'm going to do your will. Today, Lord, I'm going to love others. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love your word. Today, I'm going to share my faith. Today, it might, I might not feel like it. I'm sure there's days this man did not feel like flipping burgers. But he went anyway. That's what faithfulness looks like. That's what faithfulness looks like in our own lives. No matter what our feelings are, still getting up and doing the same thing every day. That's what the Christian life is. It's not a constant mountaintop experience. It's part of life, the ups and downs of life. But you always have Jesus with you. And he always gives you the grace and the peace that you need. To continue on. A faithful church does that. Every day. The same thing. No matter what the culture says. No matter what the, what the uh, city says. No matter what anything says. Every day doing the same thing. You see when we get to heaven. We won't have $300,000. But we will have riches and treasures and blessings. That far surpass that. Even in this life. We have blessings that surpass it. And in eternity, you'll have the blessings and the treasures and the rewards and the people that you've invested your life in. You will see there for eternity. As eternity will also be a day where every day gets better and better and better as we are faithfully living under Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've given us in Christ Jesus. And as we enter into this time of response, or if there's someone in here that's never placed their faith in you today, that's never trusted you alone for salvation, that they would do so today. And, and Lord, for those of us who know you today, maybe we're, maybe we're sick physically. Um, maybe we're tired at work. Maybe we have a relationship issue, a family issue. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. Lord, let us just take one day at a time as we rest in you. And be faithful every day. Let's, let's report to work every day knowing that you're with us. One day, Lord, we'll be appreciated even though you give us grace throughout this life. And we know that in heaven is our payday, so to speak. But we know that it's so amazing we can't comprehend. And so we work not only for that, Lord, but we work because you've told us to. And you give us blessing and we are building your kingdom as your gospel continues to grow and spread. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand.